In this episode of Man vs. Marriage, it's getting started. Steps to a better marriage and where to start, part two. The Genie Edition. <laughs> the podcast. How good do you want your life to be? It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. Man versus Marriage. Welcome back to another episode of Man versus Marriage. It is I, your humble servant, the Q Dog, in the studio with my super sexy wife. Hi. Hi. Man, Kirsten is really getting loose back there. I was just going to say, autism is live and well in the house today. She is excited. I have aspirations of building a studio outside of the house that we can go into. If you'd like to donate to that project, right? <laughs> please email me, coach at manversusmarriagepodcast.com. Heck, get to me any way you can if you'd like to donate towards that studio. Upgrade the sound quality, <laughs> make it a little more quiet. And now Hunter's chiming in. Yeah, yeah. So uh. first of all, thank you all for listening. Um, it is great to have you a part of the show. We had a couple of new uh, Facebook um, followers as well, which is pretty awesome. So thank you very much, my peoples. Um, but just know, while we're in the Moran Family Studio, which we have been for a very long time, dogs, autism, and etc. tends to take off on us. So Maybe At least we're... it's a happy sound right now. Right. Be happy about that because right. autism can be ugly when she wants to be. That's right. And it it may be a little more distracting for us than it is for the listener. It's just we're very self-conscious about it. So let's talk about this episode, Getting Started. This is Jeannie's version, and she wanted to do it more open mic as opposed to being prepared. Um in advance like I did. So we're just gonna try to fi- you know find this trail. And follow it where it leads. Okay. And uh, my thing is, how can I help you get started? I, where I started was, and we're looking at how well do you know yourself. This is getting. This is how to get started. How well do you know yourself? Um, I looked at myself mentally, physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, and physically. So for you, where did you get started? How did you find your way? Um, and knowing that you wanted to create a better self in marriage? Um, I hit rock bottom. I, I was in a place where um, I had no emotion. I was numb to everything. And um, I didn't like it because the only emotion that I was functioning out of was anger or disappointment. Because at the time that all this was going on, before you and I had, had made the turn, um, I was struggling with Kirsten. I wasn't sleeping. At that point, we had had a full year and a half, maybe two years, where I was spending, you would come home from work, and I would go straight to taking care of dinner and then taking care of Kirsten for the night because our nurse would leave around 7, 8 o'clock. And then I took over night shift and Kirsten was not sleeping. We were trying meds. We were trying um, different things on TV. I mean, we did everything we could think of under the sun. I was basically sleeping in a recliner chair in her room 
And if I was lucky, I crawled into bed about three or four o'clock in the morning and then you went to work at six. So there was no, I I was just a zombie at that point. I, there was no function for me. I'd get up in the morning and I'd start the process all over again. And I was just numb to it all. Um, the homeschooling helped a little bit just because I had to be creative and I had to learn and I love learning. I like being creative, but I was struggling with it. And, um, we had some major issues that came up medically with a couple of the kids and I just, it rocked me. Mm-hmm. I had had enough. I, I was at full tilt. You and I had had a conversation of, um, where are we at in all this? What are we going to do? Cause we weren't, we had no connection at the time. And, um, the disc thing in the, the living life by design came to church and we decided, okay, let's, let's try this. Let, let's just see if this helps. And the way it was brought to us is it was a self-improvement, self-awareness. It was more, you know, learning about who you are and how you learn and how you do things. I went into it with the thought process of if I can learn how this works, I can use it for the kids. Hmm. Because at the time, we were navigating through several IEPs. We were navigating through several disabilities and delays in learning and fighting with schools on what was right for the kids and how were we going to do it and where was I in all of that. And I wanted so much to take on homeschooling, but I just didn't know if I could handle it. Mm -hmm. But if I could figure out how they learned and how they thought and how they perceived themselves, I could learn how to talk to them and I could learn how to teach them. So I wasn't in it for myself until we got into it. And then it was like, oh, crap. I don't like this very much. (laughs) Um, So I went into it with the thought process of maybe I could find a way to be happy again. Maybe I could figure out how to not be pissed off all the time. Um, Ashley, I love you. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, put explicit on this because we're talking about me and I can't guarantee where it's going to go. Um, but I know me well enough to know, just put it out there. Um, I knew who I was when we got married at this point, I had no clue who I was anymore. Right. Um, you know, we had people that were in our lives that at one point I loved them like a father. I needed hugs from them. I loved spending time with them. And at this point in our life, I wanted nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. You sicken me. I don't want anything to do with you. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. And their perception of who I was irritated me because I'm not that person anymore. And as much as I wanted to say I want to be that person, I just couldn't with them anymore. Yeah. And I that's where I was stuck at. Am I emotionally, I was so drained. It was like, okay, am I doing this for you or am I doing this for me? You know, it was kind of like... And you're saying as far as that relationship went? With everything. Everything, okay. Because at that point, um, you and I had had some moments in our intimate life where it was like, am I doing this for you or am I doing this for me? You know, because it was, at that point in our life, it was down to, we have like 10 minutes and I know you need this, so let's just do this and we can move on about our life, right? But that wasn't how we wanted it to be. That wasn't how I wanted it to be. And so it kind of became more, there's Kiki. Um, it kind of became more 
the service aspect of things, which as I hate using that word now because I know what the impact of it is. But at that point in time, that's what it was. It was just making sure that there was enough going on between us to keep you there and to keep it satisfied and to move on. Mm-hmm. Because I honestly... Every time we got into the conversation with Rita or with Tina or with the um, Life by Design, it was, what do you need? I have no freaking clue. Right. Right now, I, at that moment, it was like, sleep. That's what I need. I need somebody else to take care of Kirsten so that I can get like 10 days worth of sleep. Yeah, no doubt. You know, we, we actually had 10 days straight of no sleep. We had more than that. And I I mean, we've... We had moments where it would be like three or four days straight with no sleep, and then we would get eight hours, and then it would go right back to what it was. So we were really functioning on empty, and I I didn't know how to see past all that. Emotionally, I was drained. Mentally, I was fried. Mentally, I felt like no matter what I did, I could not catch up. I didn't measure up, and I wasn't good enough. No matter how I did things, if I did the dishes that day, I was happy because I got the freaking dishes done. Yeah. It was like um, I wasn't good enough. No matter what I did, I couldn't get ahead of anything. It was just uh, constantly how much I didn't measure up. That, mm. that was my head space. And um, I struggled with it. It's like I could get dishes done in the morning, and then at night there would be a whole new pile for dinner, and it just depleted me because I had to do it again. And it starts all over again. And the next morning we get up and we do the whole thing again. I was surviving. I was living through motion, but I wasn't alive. Right. And then um, physically, I hated my physical body because I had had all these kids. And, you know, I just, my body showed that. Everybody used to tell me, they still do, how great I look for having this many kids. It's a compliment, but then again, it's not because, you know, I might, I look good for having all these kids, but I don't necessarily look good as I am. Yeah, it's like somebody saying, even though they don't intend it to be, it's like somebody saying, wow, you're 80? You look good for 80. It's like... Did you just call me old? That's that's, that's where my mind would go. It's like, you look good. Or, you know, when I was so big, it's like, oh, you have a a nice face. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, thanks. Right. Great personality. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know... I wasn't in the mindset to do anything about it. I really just didn't care. Half the time I wasn't eating. If I was eating, I was eating sugar and junk food because I was a sugar junkie and it kept me awake until it didn't. (laughs) I got so used to doing that that my body actually turned on me and got to where if I ate too much sugar, I crashed. Mm -hmm. And um, that worked against us in the long run. But I guess... My my crowning moment, honestly, was when we did the um, Living Life by Design and learning that a lot of my personality, my disc was congruent, but my disc was congruent because I screwed the test and yeah. I did it knowingly. I put out, I didn't put out the answers, which when you take it, you're supposed to put the very first thing that comes to your mind, that's your answer. And I didn't do that. I knew what my answer was. And then I would look at the answers again and go, but that's not what I would do. It's how I would feel about it. But this is what I would do. 
because the person that I was putting out to everybody was the dominant side. My D was off the freaking charts. My S and my I and my C, like my I and my C were kind of in the middle. My S was in the tank. And what's funny is I'm actually an S. And S is an emotional person. Somehow they discovered that because I remember. Rita did. Tina didn't. Tina didn't catch it, but Rita caught it. Tina rode, went with what I had put down, mm-hmm. but um, I knew what I was doing. I never put the real me out to anybody but you. And even then, I was so guarded because we had gone through so much and we had been hurt so much that my mentality was, I have to protect me, mm-hmm. period, because I had been through way too much and I couldn't figure out how to go through life being okay and being emotional without feeling like I was being weak. Right. I, it just didn't work for me. And um, I, I know it's, it's, it's going to be. Go, go ahead and keep going. For me, I grew up in a place where emotions were weakness. I, I lived in a place where the first person you cried lost. And it, it wasn't necessarily just my parents. It was everybody. You know, it wasn't just family. It was friends. It was people I grew up with. It was people that I hung out with. It was like whoever had the biggest attitude was in charge. And if I gave off an attitude, people left me alone. And I've already said it. I don't like to be around a lot of people. So if I could put off an attitude and you would go away, I was happy. Unless I liked you and I wanted you around, then I'd I'd be nicer. But I still had an attitude about me. And when we did the disc, that's where I, I went from was I was in such a place of needing to protect me. You know, just putting it in perspective, dealing with the schools. You know how disheartening this is. But other people who haven't been here don't. When you are constantly reminded on a daily basis how people don't want to deal with your daughter, how difficult she is, how we can't put up with her uh, tantrums, we don't know how to teach her, she's a distraction, we don't want her here, you need to come get her. This is your problem. Yeah. I was constantly in that mindset of who the hell are you to call my kid anything you're a teacher you're supposed to teach her your job is to figure out how to make this work not throw it back on me I'm not a teacher on her mom it was I mean I had to get Kirsten out of the car physically drag her across a field of grass Mm -hmm. take her into the classroom and set her down every morning every single freaking day for two years And every time my wheels hit the dirt right outside the school, she lost her crap because she knew I was going to drop her off. That is probably one of the hardest memories to erase from my mind is me having to drag her somewhere, knowing she didn't want to be there. And why didn't she want to be there? Because they didn't want her. Mm -hmm. Autism doesn't mean they're stupid. They can sense what's going on. They, They listen. She knows. She hears everything. She may not be able to tell you what she thinks, but dude, you can read the F you on her face. There is no doubt in my mind. You Shut up. We know it. <clears throat> we know it. Yeah. But then we were going through medical issues with Hannah and with Hunter. Everything was just hitting. And then we had people calling the house. They're going to come and take our house. 
I had nothing in me. I had absolutely nothing to give to anybody. Yeah. And the only thing I could do was survive. So when I answered my questions, how would I approach this to survive? And those were the answers I gave. Rita and I, I had an issue with the coach. Um, there was a, a trust issue. Someone else that I'm related to was also talking to this coach. And because we were related, information got exchanged that shouldn't have. Yeah. And I felt betrayed by it because now I have a family member who knows what I'm going through and what I'm talking about. And the whole point is this is supposed to be private. And I don't share my stuff with my family. I don't share my stuff with maybe three people in my entire life because of that simple fact. They're my family. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to piss them off. You're not supposed to do that. So, or at least that was my thinking then. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Rita and said, I, I want to finish this because I, I felt like I was finally getting somewhere with what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and, and finally feeling a little bit better about myself. So Rita took over my coaching and the first thing she said was, you're full of shit. Point blank. Is that she, what she said? Oh yeah. She looked at my disc and she's like, you're so full of shit. And I started laughing because Rita was honest with me. The other people that had tried to help me or encourage me would never be that straight. It was always easing into telling you, I know that you're lying or easing into telling me, well, you know, are you sure it's not this? Rita was like, point blank. You're full of crap. Let's get down to the reality of this. This is not true. You know it. I know it. Tell me where you're really at. I couldn't, I had so much respect for that. I honestly just went, okay, dude, you have permission. You can ask me anything you want and I will tell you because I knew she wouldn't lie to me. Mm -hmm. She wasn't going to sugarcoat it and she was going to come at me guns blazing. Did I know what that was going to look like? No. Had I known, I probably would have backed the hell up real fast, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. Because she, she is one of, like I said, maybe three people that has permission to call me out on anything in a heartbeat and ask me questions that nobody else can ask me. And to this day, she will still ask permission before she goes to something she knows could potentially blow up or might be something that I'll retreat from. When you do these tests or when you take the time out to figure out who you are, be honest. If I had been honest, I would be so much further in my progress now. Yeah. It, it took three years of counseling with her before I finally caved in and said, okay, fine. And it also took her saying, if you're not going to do this, I quit. <laughs> she, she doesn't waste her time. And I, I, I appreciated that. But I had to get to the place of who am I really? I still can't answer that question 100%. We found that out today. Whenever someone says, who are you? It's like, okay, well, what do you want to know? Because my normal answer is I'm Quincy's wife. I'm the mom of eight kids, biologically. I'm the mom of four other people because they chose me. I'm an aspiring author, but who am I as a whole? I still don't know yet. I'm still discovering her. I'm still learning to be okay with who I, I mean, hell that, uh, I just did that exercise last week of getting past fears and discovering where they stem from and why. And it was just like, this stuff is from like eight years old. What yeah. the crap? <clears throat> right. You know, I'm still learning, but I do know 
I love being creative. I love creating things. I love imagination. I love music. I love art. I like being able to make something out of nothing. I am an emotional person. I'm anchored in emotions. I used to fight them because they were a weakness and I hated it. I didn't want to feel. I was hurt all the time. I didn't want to feel. Mm -hmm. If that's all I'm going to feel, screw this mess. I'll just be pissed off and live my life. Well, it's it's interesting to me how we, and I think it was just life circumstances, just observing it. You know, it's we're far removed from it because it's been, you know, over 20 years ago. But what's interesting to me is we didn't start out that way with each other. No, not at all. We were completely open. We were both... Um, very emotional in the beginning, very intimate in the beginning, just in conversation and, and, um, knowing what we wanted and where we wanted to be and what we wanted out of our life. We were clear cut in the beginning and life just came in and it was like what once looked like a highway was now all kinds of dirt roads and rabbit trails and on ramps and off ramps. And none of it made any sense because it wasn't what we had planned. Yeah. And, the impact of all of those things wiped out everything that I knew about myself. The only thing I was solid in was you will not mess with my children and you will not mess with my husband and I will protect myself at whatever cost, period. That's all I knew. I didn't know how to function any other way. That's why we struggled so much with, you know, when you asked me before, what was it about you that attracted me to you? I was a priority. You kept me safe. In all the crap that we dealt with with people, you had my back no matter what. But as life went on and we kept getting slammed, you couldn't protect me. You couldn't protect you. It was just coming on too freaking fast. And I took on the role of protecting me. And unfortunately, it became my strength overextended because that's all I cared about was making sure that nothing hurt me. Yeah. And I learned... Um, I can be cutthroat. I am more so than you are. And a lot of people, I think, see me as having an edge because I don't BS. Either you're real with me or you're not. And if you're not real, I'm going to call you on it. If I'm not real, I expect you to call me on it. And you do. But I just don't have time for it anymore. I don't have time for sugarcoating and bullshit. It just doesn't work for me. I have too many things to accomplish. I, I don't have time for this. But other people would see that and think that I was putting up an attitude or, you know, I'm bitchy or whatever. Maybe I am. But I'm not going to give you the opportunity to not be real with me and take the chance on trusting you. If I can already see I can't. You're not being real with me. I can't trust you. Unfortunately, I learned to be a cynic. Now I don't trust anybody. It takes me a while to get there and those who have my trust and my loyalty value it mm -hmm. because they understand how hard it is for me to do that <clears throat> i love you <laughs> my throat's dry i'm sorry well i'm looking i just want to kind of break down the answers here for me it was my emotional Emotionally, I wasn't pleased with where I was. Mentally, I was in a, a really tough spot. And physically, I was dealing with shame. 
And I hear some of those overtones in you just writing down what you said. You were rock bottom. You were numb. You were full of anger. You were disappointment. And this is about how well do you know yourself, taking responsibility. I was living in shame because I thought it was my fault. Babies were all premature. My body would not do what it was supposed to do. And every time we got pregnant, it was a new reason of why my body wasn't doing what it should or wasn't good enough. I had to be on medications. I had to be in the hospital. I had to be monitored all the time. I had more ultrasounds than I think anybody we've ever met in my life. And that was <coughs> that was really sad too was to hear when we finally started talking about that which this stuff came out in the marriage seminar was you feeling responsible for the triplets um and their health issues. Mhm. And, and disabilities if I had held them longer would they be better? And that that was that was heavy, and I felt horrible for you because never, never once did that cross my mind that I would put any blame on you. It was it was the circumstance, and you held on as long as you could. Um, you did everything you possibly could physically, you know, laying in bed for six weeks, and hooked up to monitors, and you know, watching I, everybody else come in pregnant and leave with the baby. Having no freedom, you're you know you are missing Thanksgiving. I mean, just you're you're the holiday person, <coughs> and it was it was really sad that you had been carrying that guilt because I never blamed you for that. I just f for us, we we took the medication that was necessary. They were pumping you full of stuff just to make sure that the girls could stay in the cerclage. You did everything that you possibly could, and finally it was okay this is all I can do and I can't do no more. But it was every single pregnancy. I think that's why it impacted me so much because it was every single pregnancy from Hunter on down was I was monitored. I was high risk. My body was too small. I'm a five foot four frame. And when we got pregnant with Hunter, I was 119 pounds. With Hunter, I carried him like a basketball, but my body just did not know what to do when it got to a certain point. It just couldn't go any bigger. So we thought. Oh, yeah. it did. And then when we got pregnant with the triplets, we didn't even know it was triplets until we were already, you know, 17 weeks in. It was like, holy crap. We had no clue. When we did, when we finally found out, the very next week it was, you're going into the hospital. We have to do a cerclage. Your body's not going to hold this. They found a, I had already started dilating. I was already having issues. And we had no clue. So it was like, one minute, yay, you're pregnant, you're having triplets. And the next minute, okay, we need to do this, 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 and this because all hell's breaking loose. And then literally, like five weeks later, I just wanted an anniversary dinner. I just wanted an anniversary dinner. The very next day, I was locked in the hospital for six weeks. Yeah. I was like, you're done. You can't go anywhere else. We have to monitor you. I had people telling me when I could sleep, where I could sleep, how I could sleep. You can't go to the bathroom. You got to do that. It was just one after the other. And then we got pregnant with Ashlyn and that was a, oh crap. Like we weren't ready for this. It, it's not that we didn't want her. We've always said, if we get pregnant, we accept it period. That's, that's what we want. But at the time, we, the triplets were seven months old. I had just been out of the hospital. Yeah. So the whole thought process was, oh my God, I'm going back. And then her stubborn butt which has not changed. She went, held to term, but I still had complications with the pregnancy. 
I was still on medication. I had people come in the house, give me shots in the butt. So I didn't go into labor. You know, every pregnancy we went through this. So by the time we got to Anissa, it was like, okay, I'm glad that I made it. But is it my fault that we have all these issues? Is it my fault that they didn't cook long enough? You know what I mean? I just, it all hit me. And then as we were going along and at the time we were getting the, the autism diagnoses and the, yeah. the brain stuff. And it was just like, I took that on internally as I was responsible for that because my body failed. Yeah. But it wasn't my fault. I have no control over what my body could or couldn't handle. I had no control over the fact that I was having three babies. Yeah. I didn't tell my body to release three eggs. My body did that all by itself. You just happened to catch all three of them in one shot. That's not my fault either. <laughs> but, you know, it was like at the time there was so much going on. And, and because we were struggling so much too, and I didn't know, I didn't have an answer for autism. I didn't even know what the hell it was. Learning what it was and then having the doctors in your face telling you, Hannah will never do this. Kiki will never do this. Hunter will never do this. I didn't know how to accept never. And I was fighting it tooth and nail that I'll be damned if my kids are never going to do this until the day it hit. Kirsten's never going to do this. Yeah. This is my life. Yeah. I am going to forever be her caretaker. Mm -hmm. Unless I put her in an institution, which I absolutely refuse to do. That reality came down so hard. That's when it was like, this is my fault. I did this. What could I have done differently? How could I make this better for her? I can't. Yeah. She's four. That's never going to change. She's four. Okay. So I have a permanent four-year-old who's going to take care of her when I can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? All of these things were hitting at one time and you and I were not in a marriage at that point. Yeah. We, we were, were we were in a, you're living your life and I'm living my life and we meet in the middle every now and then, but we just, we weren't married at that point. Yeah, it was all, it was all, for me, it was all work, and then trying to find something that would help me provide long-term for the family, and it's just, I find it interesting that you had said, you know, you decided to do the living life by, by design um, to see if you could help the kids, but then once you learned a little bit about it, you made the decision to do it because maybe there was a chance you could be happy again. The aha moment in all of that <clears throat> was actually in the marriage thing with Bill and Rita. It was which was like what two weeks after we finished this course, we went right into that one. And um I think it was longer than that because there was a different time period around um It was spring, I know that because we were in the hospital in uh, February with the girls, but I just know the the biggest aha moment out of all of that that Rita and I gravitated to, and that's why Rita brought you in, was you were making improvements. Your muscles were coming in. <coughs> you were feeling better about yourself. Things were very, very different for you. You were progressing. I was not. And I was scared to death you were going to leave me. And that's, that was the absolute, something's got to give. Something's got to change. I can't do it, kids, without you. I can't do me without you. Yeah. I don't know how. And that was the, uh, 
that was the day that Rita was like, okay, we need to start bringing Quincy in. And I was hellbent. He's not going to, he's not going to care. It's fine. You can bring him in, but he's not going to listen because we were also dealing with the other person interfering at the time. Yeah. And, um, that person had a very loud voice in our situation for many, many years. And at that point, I had had just about enough of that voice and was ready to fling it over a freaking bridge. And when we got together, I was like, he's not going to listen because he's got this person in his ear. And that's, that's who we always go to. That's where it all, we always end up, whatever that person says. And nine times out of 10, it was me. It was my fault. But then that person started becoming butthurt. And when we went to Rita and started talking things out and figuring out where we were and, and why things were, and she started figuring out why we weren't communicating and how we should communicate, I was like, dude, it ain't me. That person's issue is that person's issue. It's not mine. Yeah. And I think that was a huge turning point for us because much like when my parents moved and your mom was busy with your sister and her situation, we're back to having to rely on us and what what is our foundation and who are we together and what are we going to do moving forward? And we just kept going from there. Yeah. I never, <coughs> you and that coughing woman, I had never, it had never crossed my mind to leave you. That was never there. Even when I was getting super fit and, you know, getting yoked up, it never crossed my mind to leave you. It was like, in my mind, it was like, finally, I get the opportunity to give her some eye candy. Um, or I get the opportunity to give you some eye candy because, you know, we both know physically I was no specimen in the beginning. But it, what, just, to, just to wrap it up here, um, we were both in survival mode. There's no question to that. But what's interesting is you were suffering in silence while I was suffering in silence. Mm -hmm. And our biggest advocate should have been each other. But we had begun drifting apart because life was taking its toll on us. We were letting life dictate to us rather than us dictating to life. Yeah. And I, I can see that, you know, you knew yourself well. And you started taking responsibility, as did I, for who you were and what part you played. Now... You did underestimate me based on what I hear. I did, and I I think once we went to San Diego and that was the, and we had that moment of where I finally got you're not going anywhere. Yeah. I was totally okay with whatever from that point on. I was like you're listening, you're hearing me. Because at the time prior to that you were telling me you weren't going anywhere, but I wasn't believing it because it's what I knew in my life. People just leave. It's what they do. Or they stay so miserable that they drag you through it with them. And I didn't want that. If you're going to leave, leave. But I didn't want to be miserable for the next 40 years. But I think what I learned when we went through all of this and with Rita was I found my rebel. It's like, why was I, when we were going through everything, we had so many voices in our life, yeah. but we were drowning so much that we really didn't even care if it was good advice. We just took it. If you were willing to help us and you were willing to come and carry some of the load, I didn't care who you were. Please take some of the load. 
But I think that's where we went wrong because there was so much <clears throat> influence and so many other voices. We couldn't hear our own. Yeah. And then Rita comes along and starts, okay, who told you that? The hell do you mean who told me that? I don't know who told me that. I just know it was said. No, no, no. Who told you that? Go back. Where do you remember hearing it? Who's the last person who told you that? Why do you think you bought it? And it took those kind of questions, you know, and her ability to just look at me and go, that's a bunch of crap. That's not true. You know what? You got a point. It took somebody else's voice to weed out everybody else to get down to the core of, and the benefit that I had is Rita's known me since I was a baby. Rita's watched me grow up. We weren't really super close as a family, but she knew me well enough to know who I really was at my core. So pulling that back out of me and getting me to accept it, I think was a little easier for her than the other person that we had gone to because the other person didn't know me. She knew what I wanted her to know of me. Mm -hmm. And she knew what the other person was telling her about me. So that's, I think, the difference. But I really think all of those major moments put together into one got me to the point where I realized, okay, I am an emotional person. I thrive off of emotion. Something mm -hmm. that I have an emotional connection with can absolutely take me to the highest cloud or the lowest valley. It, it just depends and I have to learn a medium. I can go to the clouds. I just got to figure out how to get there without being scared. And I can be scared, but I have to figure out when is it time to not. When is it time to just buck up and, and deal with it. Face it or don't, but I have to make a decision. I'm still learning a lot of that. I'm still remembering who I am and half the time I catch myself going dude you're almost 43 freaking years old and you're really like a piercing really you're 43 yeah I am and I want one and I did it twice you know but it's like learning that I'm okay with me I, I know who I am at the core I know I know where I'm going with it I don't always like it but at least now we know and now I can figure out where I need to go from there yeah, that's great. I really appreciate you sharing that. And we thought it was important for y'all to hear both sides of how we took responsibility because you might be in that place like we were, which is you're both trying to survive. And I just wanted you to hear a wife's perspective on the things that they go through. Because I could tell you in my own words, but it doesn't mean as much as when you hear it from Jeannie and maybe your wife could relate and may and you know maybe things aren't as you know bad for you as they were for us that's just our story so our hope is that you can take um you could take the information in in our journey as an example and maybe look to take some responsibility for you as you are getting started here and you begin something new in in your adventure that we call marriage and that's something that I appreciate too that Rita has taught us is that it's it's an adventure. Yeah. And it's what it's what we're doing with it. So excellent job, honey. I really appreciate you 
Hopefully it's not too much of a rabbit trail. <laughs> I appreciate you putting yourself out there. It's our story. And it's that's how you got started. That's where you were. And, you know, we, we've discovered it. And now um, it will help us build on uh, the next phase of this program, <laughs> which is solely meant to help our guys and gals get better. What do you think? I think you're right. I don't want to go any further. We're going to end the show <laughs> right there. I think you're right. Guys, get that tattooed on your uh, on your arm, date and time that you heard it. The Q-Dog is right. Thank you, honey. I love you. I appreciate you opening up. Love it, too. Um, I love it when you're operating your emotions. It's awesome. So I encourage you to keep it up. She is... Me. She is, you're not me. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm me. You're you. I'm me. <laughs> Ready hour <laughs> three. <laughs> All right. That's Jeannie, and I am Quincy Moran, and this is Man versus Marriage. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? You got to live on purpose for a purpose. It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. This is Man vs. Mary, the podcast.